Hello, everyone. This is Scott McNamara with What's New and Adapted Physical Education. As you've noticed, I've had some collaborators working with me, a lot of them from California State University, Long Beach, as well as the national organization, NICPE. Uh, we have another exciting episode that the California State University Long Beach uh, crew has developed, I think, as part of their master's program as well, which is cool. So they got students, they have uh, experts, they have professors. Um, all talking to an expert in the field, Monica Lapore, Dr. Monica Lapore. She's from Westchester University. And I found this interview to be riveting and really, really as somebody, and, and she's really engaged in aquatics research around adaptive physical education. And I found some of the things that she said just to be really, really interesting and uh, open up my own mind and insights into uh, how to teach children with disabilities in an aquatic setting. So I hope you enjoy and continue to listen. Thanks. Bye. Greetings all. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, I'm Dr. Melissa Bittner. I am joined by Dr. Barry LeVay, along with two Project CAPE scholars who will be interviewing Dr. Monica Lapore. First, we want to thank Scott McNamara for allowing our Project CAPE Certification in Adapted Physical Education Scholars to moderate the special edition of the What's New and Adapted PE podcast. Through the U.S. Department of Education grant, we're able to bring AP experts to CSU LB, um, so CSU Long Beach campus for workshops for our master students. We recognize the impact these experts have on the field of APE and thank them for their continued support to train the next generation of APE specialists. So I am very pleased to present our scholars. First, we have Adrienne Alanis. So I'm Adrienne, I'm from Long Beach, California. I have a background in aquatics, swim and water polo. I've uh, taught swimming, I've coached swimming for the last seven years. I am an APE specialist in my third year of teaching and I work for ABC Unified. I am a grad student with CSULB working on my master's in APE under Project Kate. And next, I'm proud to introduce Nikki Thornburg. I'm Nikki. I have a background in coaching tennis to all ages and abilities. I have been coaching for 11 years and am now a certified tennis teaching professional. I have a teaching credential in general phys ed with an emphasis in special education, but I am currently pursuing my master's in adapted physical education under Project CAPE here at Cal State Long Beach. So next, I would love to introduce Dr. Monica Lapore. She is a emerita professor at Westchester University in Pennsylvania. Her main focus is in instructor training for aquatics for individuals with disabilities. She is also an inclusive post-secondary higher education individuals with intellectual disabilities. She, has she is a published author for Physical Activity with Visually Impaired and Sports, Adapted Aquatics, Aquatic Assessment, Camp Abilities, and Practicum Experiences. She has many awards in Leadership, Legacy, AP Specialist of the Year, physical activity in a variety of diverse communities, and aquatics. She is also an author of a textbook, Assessments and Activities for Teaching Swimming. She is here today at Cal State Long Beach on campus to host trainings where we can get our Adapted Aquatic Assistant Certification. So Monica, welcome. We are very happy to have you here today. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction and thank you all for having me. We have a few questions to ask you. So we would like to start. Adrian will start by asking you a few questions about your professional background. All right. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional background related to APE? Absolutely. Well, my professional background in adapted physical education um, comes on the back of my general physical education and general aquatics experience. Since I was 16, I've been really interested in the aquatic area. I've been a lifeguard since I've been 16. I took my water safety instructor when I was 18, 
And then after that, when I finished college, I found Adapted Aquatics Instructor Certification. At that time, the Red Cross was running those programs, and I became really interested in that. So I took that class, and that kind of opened the door to me for almost 50% of my instructional experiences uh, with people with disabilities. Right after I got that credential, I was um, headed out to the University of Wisconsin at La Crosse, where I gained a lot of experience, not only in adapted physical education, but adapted aquatics. I was in the pool five days a week. We had an adult um, aquatic fitness program for people with a variety of disabilities. Uh, a lot of people had multiple sclerosis, and I didn't really know anything about that at the time. So I learned a lot um, about adults with physical disabilities through those programmings. When I came back from my time at University of Wisconsin La Crosse, I was able to get a job right away um, on Long Island. I'm a New Yorker to begin with. And I started um, teaching in the gym with probably 250 children were on my caseload. And they were all in a separate school for kids who were not able to be served in their school districts. Private approved school, maybe you would call it. And I was kind of lonely without the aquatics. I love teaching adapted physical education, but I really missed the aquatic part. So I started um, a program like on a Friday afternoon and we had, you know, kids from the school would be able to come. We also had summer programming where we were able to hire other teachers in the summer. And so I then moved on to doing just aquatics during the summers. Um, during that time, I became interested in teaching the Adapted Aquatics Instructor class. I joined a group of people um, from the Greater New York American Red Cross, and we formed um, an Adapted Aquatics Committee. And because of that, I had some experience where we were starting to train water safety instructors on how to work with people with disabilities. Um, so we would have like these week-long classes, you know, at a Y or something like that. And we would have, you know, 50 and 60 people coming to these programs. So I started getting a little interested in training people how to work and advocate for people with disabilities, especially in aquatics. And that got my thoughts going um, about possibly doing that as a career. One day, one of the teachers in the school that I was teaching adapted physical education in said, how do you think of all these things? How did you think about how to get that student to do this? I was like, I don't know. I, she couldn't do it. And I just tried to figure out how she could do it. Um, and so the teacher said, you should teach other people how to do this. And I started thinking like, well, I don't want to teach other people. I want to teach kids. Um, but I started at New York University at the same time I was uh, doing my work um, in adapted PE um, with the kids. And um, after about two years of doing some part-time work at um, NYU um, in a doctoral program, I took a year off to do what they call a residency, where you are full-time at NYU, and I became a, the grad assistant and took a year off from my job. And during that time, just to make some extra money, I also got a job in Adapted Aquatics by running this program called the Lighthouse for the Blind uh, Aquatic Program. So in Manhattan, there is this really great um, place called the Lighthouse, and it's really all over the country. But at that time, I thought that was the only place it was. And they had a pool. And so I ran it for a year, and it was all blind adults who came to swim. And they would come to the lighthouse at the end of their workday or whatever they were doing, and they would get their mail read for them because we didn't have the technology to do that, uh, that at that time. And then at the, after they got their mail read or had their bills help them people write checks, uh, for them, they came upstairs and they swam in the pool. 
and they taught me so much about my profession, um, listening to them, you know, what they needed. Um, it was really a great learning experience at the same time I was getting my doctorate. And, you know, after I went back to my school, um, I still had a few more classes to take, um, but I was definitely now starting to put into practice some of the things that I learned in my doctoral program and realized that probably I did have the abilities to go to a college level and start teaching people how to do this. And um, through the instructor training with the Red Cross in Adapted Aquatics, plus my doctorate, I then applied to Westchester University and um, I have, I was there for 37 years and I retired two and a half years ago. And so most of my experiences have taken place either in community-based camping, camp-type programs or after-school programs um, or during the time that I was an adaptive PE teacher at a school in Long Island. And um, the rest of the experience that I've had has been starting programs for children with disabilities at the university level. Wow, amazing. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all of the things that you've done and all of your experience, what do you think is the most rewarding? Do you think like teaching other people to teach people, like what was the most, what is the most fulfilling for you? That's a really great question. Um, when I see my college students get it, mm -hmm. um, the light goes on. Um, when they start to actually be a little bit angry about the state of how people with disabilities are treated, mm -hmm. uh, that is super, super rewarding when they go from I have to take this class to, what do you mean that they can't blah, blah, blah? <laughs> um, another part is when uh, children with children and adults with disabilities and their family become empowered to um, use sport and physical activity as a vehicle towards um, self-actualization. Um, and then finally, when my undergraduates go on and become um, college professors, um, Lauren Lieberman, Janine Wirt, uh, Beth Foster, Maria Lepore-Stevens, um, have all taken, um, you know, taken the candle and started to light other people's, um, light and shining just from being in undergraduate with me. And that is super rewarding. Yeah. Awesome. That's an impressive list. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You're a great role model. Thank Definitely. you. Um, what, well, I guess you kind of touched on this. Is that what you are like most proud of is kind of like lighting that candle and like making a difference or what would you say you're most proud of? I, I have to tell you that I have such a trouble problem with the word most, like what's oh. your favorite drink? What's your favorite food? So I did pick one thing okay. and there are 10,000 other things that uh, surely I'm most proud of, but I think that I pick that I'm most proud of getting the civility ward at Westchester University. Mm -hmm. Civility is just so important. Um, Can you kind of, what does sure. civility mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. Um, <laughs> so what are, what are civil what, what are civil people? What do they do? What do they espouse? They are people who are kind. Mm -hmm. They are people who are able to fight for what's right, for social justice, without having to demean or put down anybody else. And um, that's hard mm -hmm. because sometimes you just want to say, hey, goofball get out of my way so that I can get these kids in the pool. <laughs> or, yes, I need the water at 88. Don't tell me that I don't need the water at 88. I need the water at 88. That's what I need. You know, don't tell me how to do my job. You know, it's really hard not to do that when you're advocating for either 
your college students to have what they need or the families and the children with disabilities. Um, but yeah, the Civility Award was a, a pretty big crowning glory um, in my book because it suggested that my colleagues around me really felt that I, I could get things done in a way that was important to the world, especially in social justice for me. That is definitely something to be proud of. Yeah, especially if you're a New Yorker. I know it's even it's even harder. Yes, it is even harder. That is true. That is so true. You want to go east coast on them, right? Yes, all the time. Mm -hmm. And not saying I haven't, especially that plumber that told me he I didn't need the water at eighty eight. <laughs> well, sometimes you do what you got to do. Yes. Okay, I have uh, one more question related to your professional career. Um, so you've written a very successful textbook uh, in aquatics. Can you tell us a little bit about how that textbook came to be and like what led you to begin writing that book? Yes, so, uh, so I have the book Adapted Aquatics Programming, and then I have the book that you mentioned before, the Aquatic oh, Activities yes. and yes. Assessment. Um, I'd like to talk about the aquatic activities and assessment book because that's more, much more recent and it, it's a little bit funny. So um, most of our audience will know our, our dear friend, uh, Dr. Luis Columna. And um, Luis and I became friends uh, a good 10 years ago. And he had a student named Lauren. And Lauren was a master's student and her master's degree paper project or thesis, I'm not quite sure if it was a project or thesis, was to come up with a modification of an assessment and then have different activities for each piece of the assessment. For example, let's say level one assess part of the assessment was floating on your back. So they would be the assessment, how to set it up, and then if that child or young adult couldn't do that assessment, there would be two activities to work on for that assessment. So let's say that assessment was 1D, that assessment piece. Well, then there would be two activities for 1D, and you'd turn to page 13, and there would be these two assessments. Mm -hmm. So um, she did a really great job in this, on this um, particular master's uh, project. So Luis was very excited, Dr. Klumner was very excited about this, and at one of the consortium um, meetings, he, I'm gonna say it, say it funnily, funny, funny, um, he cornered me and was like, you gotta see this pro project, it is so amazing, it's really, really great, and I think we should write a book about it. And I was like, what? <laughs> no, I said, no, I don't, I don't wanna do it. And he goes, but wait, I didn't even show it to you yet. I said, I don't want to write any more books. I, I, that was enough just for me to write my book and, and a second edition, that's all. And so, you know, the next day he would say, do you want to at least look at this? And I was all right, God, let me see, look at it. That took place for a year. Anytime I saw him, anytime I got an email from him, Dr. Columno would be like, what do you think about this thing? What, what, we can turn this into a book, you know. And I would be like, oh, I'm, I'm not really interested in doing that. He goes, but you're the person that has to do it. And I was like, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'd say maybe 18 months later, the next thing you know, we're signing a, a book contract with Human Kinetics. And, um, and that's how that particular thing came to be. We, we uh, took Lauren's you know, master's thesis with, of course, her. She's one of the authors, too. And... Um, we massaged it in such a way that it then included many, many other pieces, like mm -hmm. stuff on universal design. And, yeah. and of course, even though that we had a universal design bent to it, we still needed to make some accommodation mm -hmm. statements and, and things like that. And um, yeah, so that, that was a, a really big project. And it was, it was, the writing process is cumbersome. Um, you know, you write proposals, you get it rejected, you write it again. You really, go, you, in order to keep going with the book, you really, really want to make it happen. And so 
I jumped into this not really wanting to make it happen. So I was probably, you know, like the bad egg of the writing team, although the Dr. Columbia would not say that. Um, <laughs> and, um, it, but it was, yeah, there's, there was, there was no Zoom at the time. You know, we're, you know, writing something, sending it on email, sending it back, trying to call each other. You know, those, the, that writing process when you're not in the same place, um, and then Lauren had moved to Maryland, so Dr. Columna was at that time in central New York. I was in Pennsylvania, and, you know, Lauren was in, you know, it just was really, really difficult, you know, to put that all together. You know, you write something, somebody else says, edits it, somebody else says, I'll write that part, and, um, but surely I feel that it is... Um, a good contribution to the field. And that is why you write. You know, you don't write for your own personal gratification, for sure. At least I do not. Um, and you, you write because it's needed. You write because you are a, you know, this is your field. You, you know, the bottom line is you want, for me, for aquatics, you need to stop the drowning. You need to stop kids yeah. who are disabled to stop stop their drowning. Mm -hmm. You know, all kids, of course. But, um, you know, that's the reason why we do anything in the field is for the, the families and the kids. And sometimes you do things that you don't feel like doing. And that's what that was. <laughs> Except that working with Dr. Columna is a joy. <laughs> so that was a good piece. I'm glad he was resistant. Yes. <laughs> Something good came out. <laughs> well, thank you for all of that. I am really looking forward to earning this aquatic certification with you. You have so much knowledge and I'm looking forward to learn more. But now let's go ahead and get into some aquatic related questions. Sounds good, Nikki. So could you touch on why aquatics is beneficial for individuals with disabilities? Thank you. I really want to talk to you about that. Um, so we could list probably a hundred things about why aquatics is great for almost every single one of us. Um, but I'm going to kind of jump to why it's even more beneficial for people with disabilities. And that's it's going to be a generalization because when we talk about, you know, increasing range of motion, some people don't need increased range of motion. So there is going to be a generalization in some of it. But let's talk about the properties of water for a minute. You know, when you have lessened gravity, your body weight is lessened, and therefore it's easier to move. I'm going to stop for a second and tell you a funny story. So when I was at my first job as an adaptive PE teacher, I was doing assessments like the first almost three months, right? I have 250 kids. So I was assessing so much just to get some baseline information. So um, I asked this young man, probably a young boy, I asked him to, you know, do, hey, put your hands on your head, put your hands on your shoulders, put your hands behind your shoulders, put one hand behind your back and one hand on your shoulder, you know, so I'm doing some body, you know, body awareness kinds of things. And he put his hands on his chest and he tried to get his hands behind him. He was a um, uh, guy with CP and he did not put his hands on his head. And so, of course, in my little brain, I wrote down, does not know where his head is, right? Okay. So it's probably about four months later and I start the aqua this aquatic program and it's a first aquatic session and the parents have to bring the children to this pool because it's not in our school. And so we get all the kids in and I, I do have to add that um, at the school that the children had um, high support needs. And this young man, get, we get, get him in the pool with the lift, we put a some kind of flotation on him and he's on his back and I have a volunteer with him and he's like kicking his legs a little but he's splashing me a lot. So I go over there and I said, Drew, hey, yo, splashing a lot, hey. And what did he do? He just 
His arms were out to the side like a letter T. And he floated his hands up to his head and kept them there. And I was like, cool, look at you. Touching your head and everything. I said, all right, keep going. And I turn around to walk away and I come back and I said, oh, you can touch your head. (laughs) He he just looked at me and just nodded. He he did not have verbalization. And, uh, you know, again, it made me realize that you can do so many things in a horizontal position in the water because Mm -hmm. water um, can be supportive or it can be resistive. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it was supportive. He was able to move his arms to touch his head, whereas Mm -hmm. sitting in a wheelchair, he couldn't do that against gravity. His body parts were too heavy for him to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And but in the in the warm water, he was able to do that. So lessened body weight, lessened effect of gravity um, means possibly increased ranges of motion. Warm water increases uh, range of motion. Um, if you move your body parts really fast in the water, then water's resistive. If you move it slower, it's supportive. Um, I had every time I bring young people who use wheelchairs into the pool, you know, I'm astounded on the weight bearing they can have and hold on to the side and stand where I don't see them standing, you know, in the gym at all. Lessen pressure on joints, really big one, really, really big. Um, And there's some, you know, water kind of pushes on you when if you go stand in the water up to your neck, the water is pressing on you. So Children that have sensory um, issues, um, most of the time that comforting hug is like those weight vests or whatever, you know, that they have on you. So if you have a a child with a person with autism who likes to just stay underwater all the time, you know, it's it's that's not a, a bad thing. That is, hey, it's quiet under here. I'm fully all of this beautiful pressure on me. Um, also, for those with some physical um, challenges, and I'm, I, I use that in a medical term, um, like, for example, they can't um, breathe deeply. You know, the water has these properties where it pushes a little bit against your chest and makes you deep, breathe more deeply. And also that pressure on your body also increases circulation. And mm-hmm. so... There are some really amazing, like, aquatic therapy books out there with very in-depth explanations of those things. But um, those are kind of, I know, physical, um, but my favorite thing is I take a lot of pictures of wheelchairs that are empty on the pool deck and kids and young adults in the pool that we don't know that they use those wheelchairs because Mm -hmm. they're swimming. So psychologically, there is some, you know, really good parts to it. I had a, recently I taught the class that we're going to teach, we're going to do this week. Um, I taught it at Westchester University and I had this young woman named Patty on my list to come the first night. I really wanted my students to meet Patty. She is, you would call her nonverbal. She has intellectual disability and cerebral palsy. And um, she, her dad said, oh, sorry, she's not available. It's her birthday. It was a Friday night. It's her birthday and we're going out to dinner. And then he called me back five minutes later and she said, uh, he said, well, she said, no, I want to go to the pool with with the college students on my birthday. That's what I want to do. So she Mm -hmm. celebrated her birthday with us. She just knew that it was going to be a really wonderful experience. All right. Mm -hmm. She's. You're going to be 23. Who do you want to spend your night with, your brother and your dad, or <laughs> 10 college students who are going to make a really big fuss out of you, and Doc, who really, really likes you a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, you know, did it up and had cupcakes and everything. So there, there are a lot, you know, it's a social, it's a social place. Swimming is a social thing. Mm-hmm. Go to the yes. beach, you go to the pool, you go to the lake, you go in a float and float around and, you know, have a lemonade and and enjoy water volleyball or something like that. So many things 
you can't do unless you feel comfortable in the water. So many great points. Thank you for sharing those stories with us. You're welcome. Now, I know some individuals may have sensitivities to certain, let's say, water temperatures. Now, is that something to take into consideration while teaching aquatics? Yes, absolutely. Um, there aren't that many no's. Mm -hmm. There's not that many times that you would say, no, the aquatics is not for you. But somebody might be allergic to chlorine or sensitive to chlorine or that in an indoor pool that isn't well taken care of there's a lot of there might be chloramines in the air and if you have asthma there may be some sensitivity there um, if you have maybe osteogenesis imperfecta and you have brittle um, bones that um, have not kind of leveled off uh, from breaking so much you might not want to be transferred in and out of the pool, even with a chairlift or with all of the precautions necessary. Um, if you have, a, you use a wheelchair and maybe you sit in your wheelchair so much that you have like an open sore on your bottom or in your back of your legs, um, we don't want you to go in the pool with an open sore. Um, and if you have, if you are a person that has seizures that are not controlled and that you are seizing every time that you go in the pool and the pool has to be cleared and you have to be rescued every single time you go in the pool, there, there might be a more restrictive environment, a.k.a. you might have to go to like the children's hospital pool where there might be many more things that, that are available to you. Um, if you have a trach, um, and you are on a respirator. You know, you're only going to go in the pool if you're in, in the hospital pool with your respiratory therapist. Mm -hmm. You needed grounded cables to support your, you know, your respirator. Mm -hmm. you, get, you need people that are not going to be splashing you. So there's, there's, you know, a list of people that might need a, a way more restrictive environment than an open pool situation or lap swim or even a small adapted aquatics might be not restrictive enough for somebody with some of the medical needs. Could you talk a, bit, a little bit more about, let's say a student did have a seizure in the pool, what would be some steps that would be needed to take in? That's a great um, point. You know. One of the things that has been on my mind for the past 20 years is that there isn't enough information about a seizure protocol. So if we look in the safety books and the Red Cross books and the, in even the Epilepsy Foundation, you know, they give you a general scenario. Get the person's face out of the water, get them out of the pool. But we... We've seen poor information, in my humble opinion, that people with, who are having a seizure should be left in the, keep them in the water because they then won't get hurt. Like getting out of the pool, you may bang your arm against something. If somebody's having a seizure, you are not doing the regular lifeguard thing to get them out of the pool, which usually consists of taking a backboard, getting them to the side, putting them on a backboard, and pulling them up by one arm. Like, that's not what we're doing, but no one's addressing that. So I decided to address it. So I took a look at uh, everything that I could find. I read a lot of articles. Um, mostly they are not any type of database articles. There's no studies that say this is what 10 people did and, and what was the outcome. That's not here happening. So I just read, you know, their opinions of what people are doing. And so I put together a nice protocol and um, both of you will be learning that because um, just about six weeks ago, Starfish Aquatics Institute, um, who I am um, affiliated with, they took my protocol to their medical director and got it certified, if you want to call it that. And so you um, are going to be learning that tomorrow, actually. So yeah, pretty much we, we have we have that. Again, 
I'm still not totally satisfied because this is not coming from any type of database study. This is coming from best practice, um, looking at all the different things that would happen and kind of practical, like what has happened when somebody's had the seizure in the pool and we did this and we did that. And, you know, basically it, it is get the person's face out of the water. Mm-hmm. Activate the emergency action plan, which means to yell to the lifeguard, help seizure is what we we call. The lifeguard stands up, blows the whistle, jumps in. The other lifeguard stands up, clears the pool, and we get a a mat, some type of mat. We call it a seizure mat, but there's no such thing. It's just kind of like an old wrestling mat that's cut up and duct taped around the edges. Um, (laughs) And yeah, we get the person onto the mat and we need a good amount of people to get them out that way. Um, We kind of do like a taco where we push the both sides up to kind of snuggle the person in as we get out. Mm -hmm. And then we put them in the rescue position, um, the recovery position. And we, you know, we've we've counted how long because as soon as you start a seizure, you try to count in your head how long this happened. the EAP suggests that if someone has a seizure in the water, um, that we've already called 911. And hopefully by the time we get them out and we start here in the ambulance, somebody goes to the door, gets them in, and um, in hopes that they didn't aspirate water um, because that's kind of a, a bad thing. But we don't get back in the water. Um, we are done for the day for that piece. We, of course, have to check our breathing and heart rate, you know, um, mm-hmm. but usually a person, you know, is pretty drowsy afterwards. Right. Um, they tired. get transported, they're tired. Mm-hmm. Um, they may throw up, especially if they've been in the water and they sucked mm-hmm. in some water, mm-hmm. like, and, um, you know, they usually would get transported to the hospital by that time. Well, so many great learning tips there. Now, are there any other important safety considerations to take in the water if any other emergencies occur? I think that, believe it or not, on deck is more detrimental than anywhere else Um, because, you know, we have a lot of young people who elope, um, Mm -hmm. and when they're in the water and they try to elope, they don't get very far very fast. But when they're out of the water, that is when the slip and falls, the the head injuries. Um, So I'd say the on-deck piece is where I'm more uh, concerned a lot of times because there's so so much slipping. And you're impulsive. Yes, the impulsivity. But you um, can't always predict. No, no, it's true. So I think the on-deck piece is where I like to have a lot of control. And... Uh, it's funny because my students are always like, you know, relax, we got this. And I'm like, yeah, but there's a puddle right there, and that person who's blind can't see that puddle. Right. Or you just took their AFOs off their feet, and now they have to walk across the pool deck. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be a safe piece. You know, most of our pools do not have rubber matting around the pool. Um, and you know, there's there's so many things that can go wrong outside the pool and getting into the pool. Like, mm-hmm. is that kid going to dive in that three feet, you know, and stuff like that. Um, in the water, seizures, of course, are big. Uh, but also another thing that I get, I'm concerned about is that a lot of people with cerebral palsy um, don't have like a, a cough response that's um, effective. So they... If they're on their back and they get a little tiny bit of water in, they kind of just are just stuck there. Mm -hmm. And so checking in with people with CP or on their back um, all the time, looking at their face, checking out their face, you know, they're okay. Sometimes I just say, hey, and that person knows they say have to say hey back to me. And that means I have no water stuck in my throat. <laughs> um, yeah, but getting the person up into a vertical position with their chin slightly tucked helps the person cough that water out um, because aspiration pneumonia is something that we have to avoid. Um, and, and lastly, if we have somebody who has poor head control, 
um, that would be a safety consideration for sure. Um, tomorrow, um, when we do our, our course, there's three parts to learning about each one of the disability categories. Um, the first is about um, characteristics that could affect aquatics and aquatic learning. And then the second part is safety for those characteristics. And then third is best practices for those things that occur. I'm loving this. I'm learning so much already. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so I am going to ask you more about way, like requirements to teach aquatics, to be able to teach aquatics to individuals with disabilities, excuse me. So could you talk about a little bit more about the requirements that one would need? You know, I think that as I've retired, this is becoming much more of a bigger piece of what I'm going to be doing in my retirement. Um, first, let me take a step back. So in the early 1990s, the American Red Cross, which was the leader in adapted aquatics instruction and instructor trainer training, um, they decided to drop that class. So they took that course off the books and they put one chapter in their water safety instructor manual about people with disabilities. Um, I'm pretty sure they did it as a, a bow to inclusion um, to say, like, we don't need this because everybody needs to be included. Um, but that's a whole nother podcast, isn't it? <laughs> um, so I know lots and lots and lots of people who have not been safe and successful, even with supplementary aids and services, in a general aquatics class. Um, whether or not it's because of some of the things we mentioned before, safety issues, or some expressions of behaviors that uh, don't allow them to learn with everyone else, um, or that they need um, a more restrictive environment for possibility of safety reasons, or they maybe need some instructional support that's above and beyond in the general classroom. And so, at that time, um, Shape America, which was called AFERD at the time, um, they decided to pick up where the American Red Cross left off. So for a good 10 to 12 years, AFERD uh, ran an adapted aquatics instructor program nationwide here in the U.S. And that was really great. I became in involved in that. And then I... Um, ended up leading that program for several years. And then, unfortunately, when AFERD um, became Shape America, um, they dropped that program. Um, they actually dropped anything related to aquatics due to insurance reasons. So that was super, super um, difficult for me because I had been putting a lot of my professional energy into that program and making it it good. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've been floundering as people who really care about instructor training and adapted aquatics for several years now. And when I found Starfish Aquatics Institute and Jill White, who is the CEO, um, I had worked with her on a project at, with Human Kinetics. And she decided that she really wanted to take this up. And so that's why we are I'm able to provide you with a credential tomorrow and the next day. And that is my my next thrust here in my in my retirement. I this is um, a program that's being rolled out right now, and um, I hope that it touches many, many people. Um, to answer the question now to be more specific, is that in order to be, a leader of adapted aquatics, somebody who's in charge of the program, you need to first have an instructional swim certification, such as the American Red Cross Water Safety Instructor or the Starfish Aquatics Institute um, pro, uh, Instructor, uh, Progressive Swim Instructor, or the YMCA. Um, there's about five in the United States. That would be like the bottom line. 
And then you would take this adapted aquatics credential. And then I would say that that would be the, that you would call yourself best practice. Okay. That would be the standard of care right now in the United States, that you would have a basic swim instructor credential and you would have an adapted aquatics instructor credential. And then um, there are a lot of different uh, organizations, though, that have instructor training. Um, a lot of times they're for very specific things. Like there was, there's a group that focuses on autism. There's a group that focuses on um, a little bit more of an adult rehab type of programming. So it's not that there are no adapted aquatics instructor credentials in the United States. There's no comprehensive ones until now the Starfish Aquatic Institute one. Well, I know that I can speak for myself, but you are very inspirational and I am inspired. <laughs> so for those out there that you have also inspired, what advice would you give someone who wants to pursue an adapted aquatic opportunity or even a certification? I'm definitely going to say go out there and volunteer with all different organizations to get experience. Um, I found a couple of years ago that I had no experience with a disability called 22Q um, deletion. Um, and, I was, and when you look at all the different names surrounding that disability, DeGeorge syndrome, craniofacial dysfunction syndrome, um, this 22Q is not like other disabilities and I had no experience. So about four years ago, I went to a camp for kids with 22Q and I spent a week sleeping over and being a camp counselor back again. And um, I really absorbed as much as I can about that disability so that I can figure out what would be some adaptations that I would need to make. Um, also, I didn't have a lot of experience um, in working with young people with sickle cell. And so I also went for a week to a camp for kids with blood disorders, and I learned so much about aquatics and people with sickle cell that um, I would say my advice is to get experiences in all different areas, volunteer with somebody who you can call a mentor, and then get credentialed. Great. Thank you for that. Collaboration is definitely key in all realms. Absolutely. <laughs> it's always good to have a mentor. Yes. So I guess to wrap up the aquatics questions, what is your hope for future for the future of aquatics and individuals with disabilities? So for example, what do you hope for after training people to be certified to teach aquatics? Do you would you like to see more diversity in swim clubs or in Special Olympics? So I'm going to talk first about aquatics in general. Mm -hmm. So um, I have a friend named Angela. Um, her name is really Dr. Biel Tafik. And Angela had been hounding me over and over again. I, 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 start, I, helped, I helped with this program, Diversity in Aquatics. It's a new organization, she said, about 12 years ago. And I really need you to join it. And I was like, I have no time. I can't do it, Ange. You know, when I retire, I'll do it. So it's like T minus five weeks before I'm going to retire. And she calls me and she goes, what's your date? And I said, August 24th. She goes, um, well, we're thinking about starting an adapted aquatics committee. And you promised me that when you retire <laughs> that you would be... And so for the past two and a half years, I've been the co-chair of Diversity in Aquatics, Adapted Aquatics Council. And Diversity in Aquatics is an organization, it's international, but pretty much focused here in the United States, um, to reduce the drowning rate of black and brown children, indigenous children, children with disabilities, and all those people where those things intersect with each other. Um, and so taking a look at people 
in the margins who don't have the um, opportunities because of systemic racism mm -hmm. and other things mm -hmm. that get in the way of pools being opened in, sure. inner, in inner cities. Or think about all these young people with disabilities and adults with disabilities who, you know, don't get to swim because somebody has a predetermined notion of what they're going to do in the pool or what they're not mm -hmm. going to do in the mm -hmm. pool. Um, or they have antiquated... Uh, you know, rules and regulations about bathing suits, you know, or a, a number of things. So I got involved with diversity in aquatics. And um, so in, in my answer to you is I'd love to there to be no need for diversity in aquatics organization. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Sorry, Miriam, who's our CEO. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be really great that we didn't have to have that. But we still need to have that. And so, you know, my hope is that we actually do decrease the drowning rate of black and brown children, and especially those with disabilities. And um, I would like for, in adapted aquatics, I would like for there to be some type of governing body that advocates for these adapted aquatics trainings. Mm -hmm. I would love, you know, when you go to a pool and they're going to hire you. They're not going to hire you without a, without a lifeguard certificate. They're not going to hire you to teach swimming without a, you know, some type of basic instructional swim certification. Like why are they hiring people without an adapted aquatics instructor certification? Um, it kind of parallels our, you know, one of our woes in adapted physical education. You know, why would we, why would we want to, hire somebody who doesn't have a credential in adapted physical education, who doesn't have their certification. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, it's part of that package because adapted aquatics is adapted physical education in the water. Yeah. Goodness, that, I couldn't that, um, agree with you more. The diversity piece you talked about, that I, I would think accessibility is a big one too. You know? yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really big piece. Um, so one of the things that I really like to do is I like to go to pools, and, oh, you know, sure. that's my thing. <laughs> I like to go to pools. And of course, the first thing that I like to do is find out if the lift works. So I go past it and I push the button, right? Um, and so I'd say, this, what, what are we in, May here? I've probably been to 12 different pools since January, okay? And 10 lifts don't work. Thanks. Okay? Mm -hmm. Two lifts work. Ten lifts don't work. Now, we're not just talking about in some, you know, basement of some place that nobody knows. We're talking about at prominent universities that have programs in adapted physical activity. We're talking about, you know, we're talking about a, a, a beautiful pool that the lift doesn't work. So, you know... It's, a, it's an issue. Um, it's been a, a more of an issue since COVID because let me tell you what's happened. It, it's, it's not surprising. What's happened is that, of course, the pools were closed for a long time, a.k.a. the battery that helps the lift to work was either left in there and therefore rotted and then leaked into the little connections that, that help it to work or... For example, the battery was is dead because it, it's been it was sitting there for two and a half years. But no one's checked on it. So mm -hmm. I go to use the lift and the battery's dead. So we did a program um, in the east. We rolled the, the instructor, the starfish program out um, in September. And I said, there has to be the lift that works. I don't, I don't really care if you have anything else. I need a lift that works. So we go to the pool and the, the lift doesn't work because the battery's dead. And so now the person who we're renting the pool from now is sprinting across the city trying to find a battery, you know, that, that will work. Mm -hmm. Now, if I was a person that rolled in in a wheelchair and I just want to do my laps, like now I don't have the opportunity. Right. So.
Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I know. Okay. Something really needs to be, that really needs to be fixed. I know. I actually think that I would like to get a uniform and I'd like to become like the Americans with Disabilities Act police for um, <laughs> for pools and just be the ADA yeah. cop and just go around and go, here's your citation. You know, not a bad idea. No, it's not a bad yeah. idea. Lift narc. Like yes, that. absolutely. That's true. Well, we're going to learn, we're going to learn this weekend that um, if you don't have a lift, you could have something else that meets the primary designation of the Americans with Disabilities Act guidelines. So oh. I'm saving that for tomorrow morning, okay. 9 a.m. Oh, well, <laughs> okay, I just have a few more questions for you. Um, so what worries you, and this will be APE related, Okay. Yep. Um, what worries you or excites you about the future of the APE profession? Well, what excites me are undergraduates, master's students, and doctoral students like yourselves who are being excited about elevating our profession. You being here today, um, helping me to express some of my thoughts and, and spread this word um, shows me that there is going to be greatness taking over for us retirees. Um, that really excite me, excites me the most. Um, I'm a little bit still worried. Um, the continuation of the lack of knowledge and understanding from special education directors um, and parents of children with disabilities um, about adaptive physical education. And um, some days I sigh in in just like total frustration and exhaustion about that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm. I'm retired, but I haven't stopped worrying about that. I, I still am trying to change that. So that's that's still my continued worry um, in that we've done so many things over the past 20 years to make that not a worry anymore, and we're still fighting that battle. Yeah, still. Right, Barry says sometimes, what decade is it? <laughs> what decade is this? Yeah, I know. There's still all these misconceptions yeah. and oh. about uh, least restrictive environment and that we're, whether we're a service. You know, that's the other one. It's uh, like yeah, we're yeah. still fighting that battle. Like, you know, special ed directors saying we're a class versus a service. And, mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. I, I recently had a really, really great experience, though, that is is making me feel more excited uh, about that uh, school district called they needed a they needed an assessment done and so you know I go through my assessment steps that that I have I'm I'm a super thorough assessor um, so that means that I am not doing the assessment unless they give me their their curriculum for the that that you know if this is this was a second grader uh, I need I need the K through five curriculum, okay. So um, not going to do it unless you give me the IEP. I'm not going to do it unless. So I have a lot of things that that I want, and and um, then of course I need to observe in general PE, and I don't want the teacher to be like doing a superstar day, and that's what the teacher did. They did a superstar day, and they didn't do what they usually do. So I didn't get a very, like, I got a, a super weird vibe, and I got also the whole idea of that this is not what the, the teacher does. The teacher ignores this kid. I know that they do. That's, the, that's what feedback that I got, mm -hmm. and that's not what they did that day, and it made it really awkward to, yeah. to do that. But then, you know, and I assessed them at, at recess, what were they doing out there with their mm -hmm. skills or lack of skills, and then, of course, reading all that, you know, and um, finding out what their family wants for them, what the school wants for them, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. And then, of course, you know, we're looking, does the state have standards or are we going to go by the shape standards? Now, you got that all and you're looking, you do the assessment and um, then the fight begins. Right. OK, so. It's enough fight just to try to get me in there, that they're going to 
actually pay me to go and do this, like to the mm -hmm. approval. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I know that the, the fight's going to begin because I'm going to ask for a lot of stuff. This child is functioning at a three-year-old level and she's in second grade. You know, she needs a lot of catch up. You people have done a disservice to this young person. I just looked, I looked at your, your, I looked at your curriculum. She's been here for two and a half years and she doesn't know the difference between a racket and a paddle. She doesn't even know what that is. She doesn't even know what they're, they're supposed to do. Um, so we get to the fight and there was no fight. And I asked a, a friend later, why didn't, why didn't I have the fight? But how come they gave me everything? And they said, because they ha are so nervous now that if a consultant or a, or a specialist says that the, a child needs something, they're giving it to them because they're afraid to get sued. Mm. And I said, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. So this, in, in, like, in four months, um, this child has gone from not even be able to do two hops in a row to being able to put five skips together, to be able to, you know, bounce and catch a ball, to be able to, it's been such a joy because I get secret videos about what's happening during <laughs> yeah. the thing. But, you know, it, it, that excite me, excites yeah. me. And um, that's what needs to happen, though. Yeah. You know. When the support is actually there. Yes, when the support is actually <laughs> yes. there. When the school district, I, I don't really care what, the, what, why they gave it to me, but mm -hmm. they gave it to me, and yeah. now this young person is going to be um, healthy. She'll be a productive citizen. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that it has to be they're worried about yeah. liability, you know, right? Now, mm -hmm. And rather than what's best for the student. Right. So yes. Right. Something we see a lot, though. Yeah. Um, so what advice would you give master students studying to be APE? So I saw, this, I saw this I saw this question on on your questions beforehand because <laughs> I got to read them before I got in here today in our podcast room. Um, and I put closed my eyes and I put myself back to be a master student at University of Wisconsin La Crosse. I had an amazing mentor, Dr. Lane Goodwin, yeah. and I was in awe of him. My advice to you is to do every single thing that you can while you're a master's <laughs> student. It doesn't matter that you can't, you can't go out on Saturday night. It doesn't matter that yeah. you don't have a date in a year and a half. It doesn't matter. Do every single thing that you can. If there's a wheelchair sports thing coming up, do it. Mm -hmm. If there's a, you know, a Special Olympics event, do it. Mm -hmm. If there's some type of inclusion conference for kids with autism, do it. Um, and learn from your peers. I know that that's really hard for master's students to kind of, you know, embrace because a lot of times you're in a mild competition with each other. And you don't realize how much you can learn from your peers. So if your peers say, do you know that this portable table, if you take the legs down on one end and it becomes like a slanted table that looks like it's broken, that a kid can like put a ball on it and it can roll down and knock some bowling pins over, you know, like learn from your peers. Um, learn from your participants and your clients. Listen to them. So Mikey was ready to go into his event the other day in, in Special Olympics, and he wouldn't stand up to go to behind the blocks. Mikey never not does his, what he's supposed to do, okay? So somebody is trying to talk him through it, and I was like, wait, wait one second. So I said, Mike, what hurts? And he points to his stomach. And I said, okay, stand up and come with me. Let's go to your mom. And the Per, the other coach was like, what? I said, he is 100% cooperative. There's, he is telling us something, something, you know, we know behavior tells us something. So learn from the participants that you work with to listen to them, learn from the families, um, and just constantly 
try to ask yourself questions about how to be more curious about different things. But that's pretty much my advice. Learn from your peers, your professors, the families and the participants, and just do everything you can during your master's time. And um, it will reward you a thousandfold. I think that's great advice. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Uh, I think it's overlooked learning from the participant or the family, very mm -hmm. much overlooked. Yeah. Yes. I feel very lucky to not only learn from you, but have mentors such as Dr. LeVay, Dr. Bittner, and Dr. Young, and also all of the master's students as well. I know that we collaborate a lot and we learn a lot from each other, so just yeah. having that relationship has really helped me with growing in my, profes my profession as well. Excellent. Agreed. that's who you're going to be reaching out to <laughs> yeah. when there are problems out in the field. Yeah. That yeah. Your, you know, current, right. current scholars, mm -hmm. colleagues, friends. Mm -hmm. But um, lastly, is there anything you would like to share with the audience that we haven't discussed thus far? I think it ties in with the advice. I, you know, there's a, a phrase, nothing about us without us. And that phrase really comes from a disability studies perspective. Um, I'm very entrenched in the disability studies movement. And so when you are when you are advocating for somebody with a disability, just realize that it's not your voice, it's their voice. And it's not your goals, it's their goals. It's the family's, you know, what the family needs, what they need. Mm -hmm. And it's not what you select and what you think is important. Um, it's really what the person wants to achieve in their life. And so, you know, don't do anything without the full participation of people with disabilities in guiding your hand about what you should do. And sometimes that's lost when we have to write goals and objectives and we try to do that like in a bubble. And that's, that's not where really what it's, what it's all about. Um, so I think that that really is the conclusion of, of what I want to say, that really you should never do anything about people with disabilities except for what people with disabilities need. Um, and lastly, I really hope that anybody who's listening to this podcast will contact Starfish Aquatics Institute so that they can get their staffs trained and their master's students and undergrads trained so that we can really bring aquatics, I want to say, back um, into like school-based adapted physical education programs where they've kind of been not put in for quite some time now. Um, and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing that information with you all over the next two days. We are looking forward to it. Yes. Thank right. you. Thank Again, you. Monica, we want to thank you for joining us on the podcast. Nikki, Adrian, kudos. You did a wonderful job as moderators. And thanks again to Scott McNamara for letting us take over the session of what's thank new you, Scott. PE podcast. All right. Bye all. Till next time. Bye. bye.